Oh, it's always good to be at Calvary. Uh, it was mentioned Windsor, Vermont, and Paul Voltmer is pastoring in that church, and I know Paul and his family have connections here at Calvary as well, and uh, even I, my wife and I, were married in Bethany Church, but had our reception in the basement here at Calvary. I think I've recorded that, and I was baptized as part of my spiritual journey down in your basement. Uh, Bethany doesn't have a baptistry, or didn't at that time, so uh, there's close connections that uh, we have, and it's always good to come back. It's like coming back home in a lot of ways. I've been asked to pray uh, together with us as a congregation, and I don't know the personal needs here at Calvary as much as each of you do, so as we pray together, why don't we take some moments in silent prayer, and uh, that allows each of you to offer to our God and our Savior uh, your requests personally, the things that are on your hearts and minds, and then I'll pray as we would uh, conclude our time of praying together as a congregation here during our morning service. So let's go to the Lord our God in prayer. Jesus, as we each lift up our prayers individually to you right now, you hear, you answer, you care. And Lord, we just lift our prayers to you at this time. This is 9-11, Lord. And we live in an area of the country where many around us, if not some within this body, were impacted deeply uh, by that event. Uh, we all were impacted by it, but Lord, there were those who perhaps suffered uh, illnesses and suffered injury, and even some who lost loved ones or neighbors, friends of theirs were lost. And so remembering that, uh, event, Lord, we want to lift to you those who still grieve and suffer as this day is remembered. And in the midst of it, Lord, we are thankful that you are our God, that you do comfort, that you do heal, and that, Lord, you are sovereign in all of our lives, even in the times where evil seems to persist and have its way. Lord, this is the beginning of September. It's a new season in church life. And so this morning we would pray for Calvary Free Church. We would pray for the ministries that are upcoming and starting and, and beginning to develop as the fall season begins. Lord, provide leadership. Equip the leaders with passion and enthusiasm to serve Christ well in this place and through this place, Lord. And Father, might there be fruit that uh, comes about because of your labors through them here in this place. Lord, we pray for Pastor Daniel, for Remy, and for the staff here. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would just uh, give them rest and relaxation this day, but Lord, that you would refresh them for the fall ministry and the ministries here at Calvary. Lord, you are a great God. 
And we come to worship you, not simply with our songs, not simply in reading the word and listening to it and hearing it today, but we come, Lord, with a desire to have a heart to worship, a heart that's humble, a heart that's pliable, a heart, Lord, that is open to receiving from you what you have to speak to us about. Thank you for the high privilege we have to gather freely. Thank you for the high privilege we have to be a part of a congregation with other believers for that encouragement that it brings and the fellowship that it offers. Lord, as we share the Word of God, this is the living Word of God, the inerrant Word of God. Lord, it always speaks to us when we read it and think through it. We ask that the power of the word be felt in my life and our lives this morning. For it is in your name I pray these things with my brothers and sisters gathered here this morning. Amen. You have an outline in your bulletin. Uh, the outline is replete with fill in the blanks. Uh, that looks uh, very unnerving. Uh, but if you're given to filling in the blanks, I know some people are left brain people and you want to have all the blanks filled in. Uh, I will try to repeat them well so that you can follow along. If you don't catch filling in the blanks, at least it gives you a method to follow along with the message this morning. I've been doing some study in recent years. And the studies have been around a very word in Scripture that conjures up images, many images, in our minds when we hear it and read it. It's the word Pharisee. Uh, perhaps the first response that you have is the response that I have had when I viewed that word in Scripture, and it's this, I am not a Pharisee. But as I've studied, I have found the Pharisees to be a very interesting group. In Scripture, uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that there were about six to seven thousand Pharisees. Doesn't sound like a lot, but if you remember and note the ministry of Jesus Christ, the number of times Pharisees are referred to, they had a wide influence within the religious community of that day and within the broader culture of that day. In fact, as I began to read about the Pharisees, Originally, these men were the good guys. Uh, literally, their name means separated ones. They sought to live a life separate from their culture, separate from others who didn't embrace uh, Jewish culture and, and the Old Testament at that time. Uh, these were the separated ones. And Scripture commends them in a lot of ways. Uh, it, scripture tells us in Matthew 23, and you can look up the text later, they're there in the bulletin for you, uh, that these Pharisees were basically theologically correct. Uh, they, it's interesting that when Jesus talks of them, he actually gives them full authority in all that they teach, even if they didn't live up to it. Uh, you remember he said that, that uh, you ought to listen to them, you ought to hear them, Matthew 23. You ought to obey them. And so initially, at least, the Pharisees were teaching sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is taught as we gather this morning. 
I, I also saw in Scripture, Matthew 5.20, that they lived righteously. Uh, Jesus' criticism of them was not that they were not righteous, but that they were not righteous enough. You remember, he said, unless your righteousness surpasses or exceeds that of the Pharisees. So they were righteous. They were seeking to live in a godly way. In Acts 5.34, I found that they were even highly respected by their countrymen. Gamaliel is the name that you find there. He was a Pharisee, and it says that he was respected and honored by all of his countrymen. So some of the Pharisees were indeed respected. I read in Luke 7.36 that some of them even provided hospitality to Jesus Christ. There we read that the Pharisee, a Pharisee invited Jesus into his home and provided a meal for him. We even find in Luke 13.31, unbelievably, that some of the Pharisees warned Jesus Christ of impending danger. There were those who protected Christ and his followers from the persecution that was coming. And lastly, I discovered in John 9.16 and Acts 15.5 that some Pharisees, it states, believed in Jesus Christ. These were the good guys. They were the church attenders. They were the Old Testament law readers, scripture readers. They were those who were desiring to live lives of piety. And so I need to ask the question, and we need to ask the question this morning, why was Jesus so hard on the Pharisees? Well, I believe it's because their motives were absolutely wrong. And I have four E words here that I, I sense focus why Jesus was so critical of them and the caution that we need to be aware of in our lives as we seek to practice many of these things as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. They were egocentric, egocentric. Uh, what's in it for me? What benefits do I get? I want acknowledgement, I want to applause, I want to claim, what do I get if I follow Jesus? They were externalists. They were focused on the outside, not the inside. Uh, they wanted to look good in front of others and not necessarily be real or authentic or sincere. The scripture tells us as well that they were exhibitionists. They loved to stand up in front. They wanted the attention. They wanted the pub public accolades. And scripture tells us as well that they were exclusionists. They were exclusionists. We are the people of God. We're the religious people. Those others aren't doing it the right way. And this led them to draw many divisions between themselves and others and to condemn those who crossed those boundaries. And Jesus has a word for them. And his word was, they were hypocrites. Now, what was the underlying cause here? Well, they refused to prepare their hearts to hear from Christ. We're told that in Matthew 21. And they rejected God's purpose for their life. We're told that in Luke 7.30. As I go around to many churches and hear uh, many things in the culture in which we live, what's the most frequently stated criticism about the church of Jesus Christ today? Well, some say it's not doing enough for the world's problems. 
Others say it's, it's boring, it's, it's, it's just unnecessary, uh, church is obsolete. Uh, people who attend churches like Calvary are, are not open-minded, they're judgmental, or, or people, uh, the church is just in it for the money. But I believe the most frequent criticism that I've heard over the years is one that you and I know well, and it's this, the church is full of hypocrites. Now, we can consider that criticism and dismiss it. But I would like to challenge us this morning to not simply dismiss it. Do we agree with them? And if so, what do we do? What does Jesus think of hypocrites? And in the text we're going to read in a moment, Jesus is giving us his perspective on hypocrites, on worshipers both true and false. John Stott, a noted English evangelical in his book, Christ the Controversialist, remarks this way, quote, the same Pharisaic spirit, uh, the same Pharisaic spirit still haunts every child of Adam today. It's easy to be critical of Christ's contemporaries and miss the repetition of their vain glory that we see in ourselves. Yet deeply ingrained in our fallen nature is this thirst for the praise of men, of women. It seems to be a devilish perversion of our basic psychological need to be wanted and to be loved. We too can hunger for applause. We too can fish for compliments. We too can thrive on flattery. It is the plaudits of people we want. We are not content with God's approval now or with his well-done, good and faithful servant on the last day. As Calvin put it, what is more foolish, nay, what is more brutish than to prefer the paltry approval of people to the judgments and warning of God? We too, my brothers and sisters, we too can distort God's glory uh, to my glory, and we need to relocate our glory, and we need to take it to prayer and intentionally praise God from whom all blessings flow. And so this morning, let us speak about hypocrisy and note that it's the greatest spiritual disease and it needs to be avoided. Now, chapter 6 of Matthew comes in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a hard-hitting expose of false piety. So if you have your Bibles, open them or turn them on or turn to them uh, in your devices. Uh, we want to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and then drop down to verses 16 to 18. This is the word of the living God. Be careful, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father who sees what is, what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners for the, uh, to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then drop down to verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In the passage preceding Matthew 6, in chapter 5, Jesus has contrasted his teaching with that of the Pharisees. Over and over again he said, here is what they tell you, but I say, but I say. But now in chapter 6, Christ turns from teaching of the Pharisees to the practice, how they're living out what they're teaching. Live that. And Jesus, having told his disciples of having a superior righteousness, be perfect, verse 48 of chapter 5, as the heavenly Father is perfect, now warns the disciples, the followers, the folks gathered at Calvary Evangelical Free Church this morning. He warns us about the danger of religious hypocrisy. He's not dealing with the mere actions here of righteousness, but with the motives behind righteousness. D.A. Carson says this, to attempt to live in accord with the righteousness spelled out in the preceding verses, but act out of motives that are eager for people's applause is to prostitute that righteousness. Now, Matthew 5.16 does tell us that we are to live out our works before men and before people, that they may see our good works, but it's always with the purpose of glorifying our Father in heaven, not in us getting the praise. It's been said that although followers of Jesus are to be seen doing good works, they are not to do good works to be seen. And so we come to talking about the motives that we need to have. And I've listed two that I see. First, there's the principle of true worship, and it has to be authentic, authenticity. The principle of true worship is authenticity. Note verse 1, chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Righteousness. Righteousness is that outward expression of an inward spiritual life. It's conforming my life to God's standard. And notice in our text, 
that it does assume that people of God will do these righteous works before others. When you pray, when you fast, when you give. And the three principles here given, giving, praying, and fasting, are the three principal acts of Jewish piety or Jewish religious religion working its way out. And they become examples to us of the many practices that are susceptible to religious hypocrisy. When you give alms, uh, that's compassion for others, that's outward actions, that's outwardly sharing with those around us. Matthew 6, 5, when you pray, that's communion with God, that, that's the upward relationship that we have with our Lord and Savior. And Matthew 6, 16, when you fast, that's control of myself, that's inward self-discipline, that's inward. And so, Jesus is saying here to us, in all the ways that you live out your faith practically, outwardly, make sure that you are seeking to glorify God. For true spiritual life will result in giving, praying, and fasting. But then Jesus says, but, but there's a hypocrisy that comes, and hypocrisy is this, it's the outward expression, not of a spirit-filled life, but of a pride-filled life. It's one who plays the roles and sees the world as their stage. Uh, the intent of one who is a hypocrite is to impress people, to impress themselves. And my concern for my own life, as well as for the lives of those gathered here at Calvary Church, is this. That wherever there's a premium on holy living, there will be a great tendency towards hypocrisy. Even though we desire to be holy, we sometimes are willing to settle for looking holy on the outside, rather than work at the practice of being holy on the inside. It's a lot easier to look holy on the outside, to just dress the part or, or play the part, rather than really doing the work of practicing being holy inwardly. Jesus saw that in the Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders, the religious people of, of his time, that, that grouping. In Matthew 23, 25, he says, they clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is dirty. Matthew 23, 27, he says, they are whitewashed tombs on the outside, but inside they're stinking as though death is rotting their bodies. And Matthew 23, 28, outwardly they look good, but inside and inward, they haven't dealt with God. Hypocrisy. It is a deliberate attempt to camouflage a wicked heart. And sometimes I find in my life that it tends to try to sneak in. I, I want to follow the crowd. I, I want to fit in. And even that is a form of seeking people's favor. And as a believer, I need to be warned. And I need to see in myself these tendencies that can so easily manifest themselves in why I want to live the way I do for God. Warren Wiersbe, he said, The great sin of the Pharisees was external, not internal. 
It was to impress people, not to please God. They loved the titles, they loved the public recognition, they exalted themselves at the expense of others. End quote. Jesus never criticizes the Pharisees for their acts of righteousness or piety. He doesn't criticize them for giving, praying, or for fasting. He criticizes their motivation and how they carried that out. In fact, over and over again, he says, Beware, for if we cease to be on guard, we too will be overtaken. Larry Osborne, a free church pastor out in California, wrote a book called Accidental Pharisee, a great book. And in that book, he states this, if we fail, if we fail, understand how spiritually impressive the Pharisees were, we will remain blind to the danger of becoming like them. We will assume that their tragic transformation from passionate defenders of God into mortal enemies of God, that's not going to happen to me and to us. But it's often a very short and a subtle journey from being zealous for God to being intentional, intentionally opposed to God. And that brings me to my second principle, this. Practice of true worship, yes, it needs to be authentic, but it depends on private devotion. It depends on who you and I are in private. Dexter was a special needs young man. Uh, he was befriended by a pastor. And this pastor used to get together with Dexter and go for walks and share with him during his ministry. Dexter was very engaging. He was very positive, and he was very expressive about life. Dexter's favorite word was the word, wow. And so one day, the pastor was walking along with, with Dexter outdoors, and the conversation went like this, wow, what a beautiful day. Wow, would you look at that tree? A little later. Wow, can you smell the hot dogs roasting at that hot dog stand? And after a while, the pastor became kind of frustrated with, with the wow of Dexter, and it was like, yeah, 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 I hear you, Dexter. Wow, did you see that on the sidewalk? Yeah, yeah. Then why did you step in it? And that's the point in the message right now. This is the part of the message. We need to be careful. We need to beware. And so often we get trapped into just saying, yeah, Lord, yeah, Lord, yeah, I, I see it, I, yeah, I know. And I think God is saying to us this morning and to me this morning, beware. Beware of the tendencies of being a Pharisee. He points, Jesus does, in Matthew 6, to these three acts of Jewish piety. And the structure is all the same, as you noted as we read it. There's a warning. Uh, don't act to be praised by people. And then there's a guarantee that those who ignore that warning will get what they want and no more. They'll, they'll get the praise of people, but no more. It's the guarantee that will come. Yeah, you'll, you'll get that. 
And then there's the instruction of the Lord. How do you perform that, that act of piety, that act of holiness secretly? And then there's the assurance that comes that the Father who sees in secret will reward us openly. There's a contrast here between the wonderful reward that the Father gives and the, the comparatively paltry and miserable reward of only gaining human approval. So this morning I'd like to tease out these three instructions for each of the, the instructions for each of these areas because I think that they exemplify to us how we are to treat the spiritual disciplines in our lives in terms of how we execute them and live them forth. The first is almsgiving. And did you notice there when it talked about the almsgiving, it says that they announce it with trumpets. I've heard a number of commentaries and read a number of commentaries on this, and some have said, well, that's just a word for tooting your own horn. And perhaps uh, it is. Uh, certainly it's calling attention to yourself, whether it's a horn or a trumpet being blown in the temple as the offering was given, or if they popped it in the, uh, the coffer and made noise going down. Uh, but it's that, that thing of tooting your own horn, calling attention to yourselves. William Hendrickson, in his commentary, says this, and listen carefully. They were hypocrites because while they pretended to give, they really intended to receive, namely, honor from people. And Jesus' point here is, is that we shouldn't publicly advertise our, our giving, that's the trumpets, nor should we be absorbed by our own giving? That's the right hand, left hand. Don't let the right hand know what the left hand's doing. The left hand know what the right hand's doing. Uh, the focus here is on giving to the needy, to the poor. And I love what John Stott says. He says, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice, self-forgetfulness, that's the left hand, right hand, not by self-congratulation. Almsgiving. Notice the second is prayer. And in the middle of the section on prayer, or at the end of the section on prayer, comes the teaching of Jesus that we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but in the first part, verses 5 to 8, uh, Jesus condemns the wrong motive. The focus here is on a person who prays more in public than in private. Now, Jesus, I don't think, is saying, don't pray in public. I just prayed in public. But I think as Jesus looks at me or any one of us that would pray in public, uh, the question needs to be asked, am I a committed prayer warrior in private as much as I am in public? Because that reveals that I'm less interested in God's approval if I'm just praying in public more than in private uh, than I am, that I'm more interest, less interested in God's approval than human praise and human approval. And so Jesus says here, deal radically with this and pray in private. Now, I don't think secrecy sincerity here. There was a woman in my congregation up in Vermont who, who she took this literally. She had a closet in her house, and she would go in and close the closet door, and that was her prayer closet, and indeed she practiced that well. She was indeed a prayer warrior, but I don't think it means that we all need to do that. I, I think it's saying, we need to be sincere in our prayer life and how we pray and what we pray privately 
needs to be more than what we do publicly. He's condemning the wrong method here, Jesus is. And even with the pagans, he says, we should avoid meaningless, repetitive prayers offered under the misconception that the mere length or the mere emotion that we make in prayer is what makes them effective. Remember the prophets of Baal? They were emotional, they prayed a long prayer, and it never gained the result. Prayer is to be a simple act of communication between a dependent child and their heavenly Father. And then the last that's given, the last Jewish practice, is fasting. And I see this as a form of self-denial. Fasting has many different aspects to it, and I don't want to preach on fasting as much today as just to, to note that it's, it's, it's internal, it's a, a self-denial, it's denying myself. And, and in doing that, uh, some people adopted an air that was somber, disfigured themselves, didn't wash, didn't shave. Some in the Old Testament days or New Testament days put ashes on their heads. It's groaning from hunger. The point here is not that there should be no contrition, but that people were drawing attention to themselves. And Jesus forbids that. He forbids any sign at all that fast has been undertaken because the human heart is so mixed in its motives that a desire to seek God will be diluted by a desire for human praise. And that, therefore, it nullifies the very purpose of the fast. They sought recognition. So what are the spiritual practices in your life? doesn't have to be these three. These three are noted because that was, those three were prominent in, in Jewish piety at this time. It is your motive to sincerely seek God. Or like me, at times, has your motive gotten diluted and subtly changed because of pressures in your life and the pressures of the culture? Public performance, I've got to tell you, is easier than private devotion. And so let me give some concluding thoughts to help us flesh out this truth and, and to live in a righteous way and to do acts of righteousness while avoiding hypocrisy or false piety. I believe they're taught well here in Matthew 6, 1 to 18. And I believe there's some clear cues here because God is an audience of one and we need to honor him. First, true piety is difficult. It's not natural. Jesus introduced this section with the word beware or be careful. And Jesus recognizes that for you and I, religiously motivated, we're here in church because this is a significant piece of our, our practical living out, our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Jesus is saying, beware. Because there's a subtle, sinister, seductive pull that so easily can take us off in a wrong direction. If we're not careful, we too can slip into false or, or superficial holiness. And the Bible illustrates that clearly in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 15, 22, where Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, the outward as in obeying the inward, the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen better than the fat of rams. 
True piety, it's difficult. It takes time. It takes effort. It's not natural because of the sinful bents of my own heart. Secondly, true piety is simple and secret, not showy. It's simple and secret, not showy. One of the best ways to check my natural tendency to make my religious life public is to do it secretly and simply. My prayer life should be superior in private than it is in public. If the truth be known, who I am in secret, where you don't see me, that's who I really am. And my life and practice need to be consistent, whether in private or in public. And thirdly and lastly, true piety is a relationship with our Heavenly Father. There's a word repeated ten times in the text that we read this morning, and it's the word Father. A stronger relationship with God should be the goal and the motive for everything that I do. I must not seek to fulfill some set of religious requirements, or worse yet, to seek to please people. God simply longs for me and for you to have a personal relationship with Him based on His grace, not our righteous acts. He doesn't simply want me to act. He wants me. He wants you. He wants us to have a love relationship with Him out of which flows our acts of service as we desire to lift Him up and see Him exalted. That's the thrust, I believe, of Matthew 6, 1-18. And quite honestly, it's very humbling. It's very humbling. And so a question has been raised this morning, and here's the question. Do I have, do you have, some pharisaical tendencies in your life, in my life, this morning? Am I loving a reputation for being a good guy rather than real holiness that pleases God? Do I appear holy on the outside, but I am not on the inside? Do I pay lip service to Scripture, but then ignore it in how I live? I'm asking you, I'm asking me, to look at our hearts today. I'm asking you to ask yourself to what extent Do you resemble the very kind of people that you would never want to be, the Pharisees? I'm asking you and I'm asking myself if we truly see the depth of our own sin and our continual need for God's grace. Honest reflection on that question and its implications for how I live out my faith can produce some disquieting results. I fail in this area. I'm I'm drawn aside by this. And yet, the negatives of these verses, the beware, 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 be careful, be careful, are actually an important way of getting at the supreme positive for us, and that is that we live transparent, authentic, spiritual lives. Might we, the people at Calvary Evangelical Free Church, be people of genuine, heartfelt, Godliness. 
we the people in the congregation of Calvary Church be those who are unaffected or who are desiring to be living out unaffected holiness that doesn't get affected by the things around us? Might we, the people at Calvary Church, be those who live in unfeigned piety, uh, holiness that sees clearly that we want to please God? The real beauty of righteous living must never be tarnished by any sham that would come. So as we repent, might God help us to be sincere, authentic followers of him. Lord Jesus, the text before us this morning is a discomforting text. For the Pharisees were seen initially and originally as the good people religious people, the people who carried out acts of righteousness and sought to live lives that were separated unto you. But Lord, the subtle tendencies of sinful hearts and cultural pressures wrapped their way into their lives so that they weren't seeking to live for the glory of God but for the praise and the approval of people around them, as well as their own satisfaction that they had given, that they had prayed, that they had fasted. We, too, have those pressures around us. And you are challenging us this morning to examine our lives and to say, Lord, is there a tendency in my heart, in my life this morning, that though I want to follow you and though I want to and desire to live a holy life, uh, there's those subtle tendencies that I'm seeing. Might we be willing to confess? Might we be willing to repent? Might we be willing to say, oh Lord, continue to do your work in my life? And might we desire to live our lives purely and only for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Might we indeed let our works shine before men, let our light shine before men, not that we would gain acceptance, approval, or acclamation, so that you may be glorified and that they might see our Father in heaven. For it is in his name that we pray these things. Thank you, Lord. Amen.